schedule there. But tonight we're going to be basically in here. We've got some more games to do after our session. And then if you go to the next page over, you will find session one. We'll jump in. Well, we are going on a road trip together this weekend. I know it started with the bus ride up crossing the Causeway Bridge for those of us coming from the South Shore. For those of you on the North Shore had uh, less distance to travel, but the, the journey hasn't ended. It's only begun. Uh, but that concept of a, of a road trip, right? Certain images and associations come to mind when you, when you think about that. They, they don't tend to look like our retreat graphic which is nice and dark and gloomy. Actually, Eric recommended lightening it up a little bit, but I just wanted to keep it really scary. You know, I wanted there to be this layer of uncertainty, you know, not really sure what's going to await us on the journey. But road trips tend to exist, you know, they're for travel, they're for leisure, they're for having a good time. It's not typically based in, you know, you just need to get across the country to go do some job or work somewhere. You think about the beautiful scenery that you might see along the way, maybe plan what your favorite playlist is going to be, get all your uh, Spotify stuff in order. Did y'all track with what your favorite artist of the decade was on Spotify? Anybody want to admit that here publicly, what what that was? Uh, You know, sometimes the only difficulty is dealing with some of the drama that can be present in the car or the boredom of a long drive, but you know, in the day of the iPhone and the uh, in-car movie, uh, there's not too much of that that we have to deal with. But I came across on the internet some tips for going on a road trip. Uh, two pretty different perspectives, but I think they're both aiming at the same thing. So uh, let's check out this first one right here. Lifestyle expert Erica Katz has some helpful hacks to make your road trips easier. First, keep a cooler handy. You can pack cold drinks, sandwiches, anything you want, and then you can use it like a table. For those long trips, you may want to nap in your car. If you get tired, pull off to the side of the road and find somewhere quiet. And then take your raft out of the trunk, throw it in the back seat of your car, and then you'll have A nice, cozy bed. And if you have a car full of kids... When you have to sit in traffic in a road trip, the kids can get really antsy. Here's a helpful hack. Fill up an empty coffee creamer container with cereal. Or how about this hack for a healthy snack? Try filling a container with peanut butter and celery. It's delicious and the kids will love it. Nobody wants drinks spilling everywhere. Don't have a lid for your drink? Use some plaster wrap to put on your drink. Make it nice and secure, no spills. Finally, be prepared for the unexpected. You never want to go on a road trip without a set of jumper cables, just in case you break down. And keep the instructions in the glove compartment so you know how to use them. There you have it. Helpful tips for your July 4th road trip. Look at this bumper to bumper. I can't believe it. Got to love uh, daytime TV there. Also known as we didn't have anything planned for the segment this week, so we showed this. Uh, all right, well, we've got another, uh, another version of how to hack through your road trip that I came across, and we'll check that out a little bit. 
a little bit of their video. So, you got some free time and you want to hit the road? We're the Vagger Brothers, and this is how you plan the perfect road trip. Road trips, group of best friends, the open road, an unforgettable adventure, or a total nightmare. Everything depends on the people you're with, the places you go, and how you get there. Follow these tips, and you're sure to have the experience of a lifetime. First things first, choose your vehicle wisely. You want something spacious so you can spread out and stay comfy on those long rides. This is like the ultimate road trip vehicle. Lots of character, we installed a sound system so it's pumping. Step two, assemble your squad. Even more important than your ride is your squad. These should be your best friends because you're gonna be stuck in a car with them for a long, long time. The larger your group, the more time you're gonna spend waiting for everybody to get ready. So thin your squad for a lean, mean road trip team. Step three, plan your route. Get everyone on the same page about where you're going and what you're doing. Talk about must-dos and won't-dos. Don't plan too much in advance, but research places that you know you want to visit so you don't show up on the one day of the year it's closed. Websites like Road Trippers and On The Way help you plan your route and find cool places to stop. <laughs> Remember, and this might be the most important point of all, plan to go slower than you think. Trying to do too much in too little time will just make things hectic and could ruin the experience. Step four, final preparations. Before you go, you get the idea. Now, which of those two road trips would you rather be on? The mom with the Cheerios stuffed in the coffee container and the cling wrap cover on her cup? Or assemble your squad and, you know, go to all the exotic places of your dreams that people, you know, influencers on social media paid to make videos can uh, visit and go on those road trips, right? Uh, little, little different visions that are there. Uh, but, you know, both of them are aiming at the same thing, right? Uh, how to make you comfortable. How to assure that this experience is going to be fun and easy and not too demanding and instantly rewarding. In, in fact, that's kind of what the road trip has come to symbolize in our culture. It's, it's a little bit of an icon of adventure and discovery and these amazing experiences and fulfilling dreams. In fact, the open road is, is now a, a symbol of self-discovery, of journeying to you, of figuring out what makes you special. I look at these two titles. One was from a couple of decades ago and the... Uh, other one is from the last decade. We can now say that. The previous decade has passed. Uh, but you got the journey called you. The road map to self-discovery and acceptance. Or the road back to you, an Enneagram journey to self-discovery. It's actually written by a, a Christian. Uh, but knowing yourself, it, it's important. There's value to that. But, but this is treated in much of our culture as if that's the destination. You know, once you figure out you and what makes you unique and why you've been put on this planet, then life can be good. Well, how do you do that? You know, other than using uh, Instagram's uh, which Disney character are you slot machine filter, how do you know yourself? Well, I came across this article from the Huffington Post titled 10 Tips for the Road to Self-Discovery. And, and here are some of the things that they, they said. The Step one was surrender. But the person that you're surrendering to is you, right? Look deep inside, discover what's there. 
give yourself over to yourself. Step two was make peace with yourself. Step three was offer yourself some compassion. Step four was say yes to yourself. I think there's a common theme here. Uh, Step five, make a commitment to yourself. And then their version of assemble your squad was uh, step six, surround yourself with people who help you grow. They say, if you're surrounded with people who do not have your best interest at heart, then they are... they will not be able to help you grow into the best possible version of yourself. So what do you do? Leave them on the side of the road, right? Eliminate those people from your life and surround yourself with people who will allow you to grow. Grow into what? Well, grow into the best version of you that you've discovered deep inside. But the problem is that this search to find yourself, it never really ends. It sounds freeing, right? The options are endless. But what that leaves us with is we, we, we never really conclude something. We never really close on something. This sense of who am I? What am I supposed to be about? Who am I in this world? It's fluid. It, it's constantly up for grabs. Right? And, and travel throughout history has allowed people to do that, to recreate themselves. You know, you, you used to, the, the, the way that um, you know, towns were so isolated, if somebody wanted a new life, they would travel down a road to another town and maybe they, they would leave their family behind. They would say they're a new person, different name. Uh, they would remarry. doesn't matter. They have people elsewhere. Just recreate who they are. And, and the more that technology has developed, the more that we can do that. You don't have to leave home to reinvent yourself. People do that. They, they kind of, they, they'll, they'll swipe through their old social media platform to delete the old stuff that they posted because there's this new persona that they want to present. You know, first it was they, they were this artsy approach that they had, you know, all these filters and pictures of coffee and stuff like that. But now they, they want to be the comedian, and so they're posting videos like that, or they're opening up a TikTok platform, and, and they're jumping on the trend angle while they were doing this, right? Technology allows you to always present a new version of you. And it's actually, it's interesting that technology and the development of the road has caused certain things to be invented in the 20th century. Uh, One was the chicken nugget. You know why the chicken nugget existed? Because they wanted to create a form of chicken uh, that drivers could eat safely. And so, thank you very much. We created the chicken nugget because we created the road. Uh, You know what else got invented because of uh, the open road? Was the teenager. Did you know that? Uh, Not, you know, the age, 13 through 19, but the word. And the concept for this, this new period of life where, where, where you're kind of no longer a child, you're not quite an, yet an adult, you, don't, you haven't really entered into society, you don't have major responsibilities, you're in between in these teen years and, and really not really committed to anything in particular. And it was the open road that allowed for this as there's more mobility and growth in the United States and cars are available and interstate travel and and the teenage years became defined as a time of exploration and and the image of that was a group of teens packed into a car heading down the road right and 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 you just have all these movies that came out particularly in the 80s and the the 90s back when teenagers actually used to get driver's license you know like when you'd show up on your 16th birthday at the DMV and, and get your license what's your hand if you're 16 and you have a driver's license Chef Collins 
I, he's got stories though. It's been, it's been quite a journey just to arrive at that, right? But this is how we talk. Life is a highway. I want to drive it all night long, right? We'll hear from Stephen Mackey later because he gives his Lightning McQueen impressions very well. But we love the thought of leaving home more than we do at arriving at a destination, finding home. It, and it used to be you, you didn't have to discover who you were. But that was supplied for you. Your family, your church, the community that you were in, they answered that question for you. It wasn't even a question to consider. You were already defined. This is, this is who I'm about. This is who I belong to. But the more opportunity elsewhere came, the more we were in question. And now everything is up for discovery and for adjustment. I mean, even your gender. That's not a settled question. That's another thing about yourself that you now have to figure out. Right? Am I the gender that I was assigned at birth? Everything is unsettled. And it becomes a confusing experience. It's a, it's a restless wandering on a winding road trying to figure out who am I and what makes me happy. Like, I like the way that James K. Smith puts it. He says, the road has a strange way of showing what looks like a destination in the distance that when you get there points to another destination beyond it, right? On the horizon, there's that, that shrinking vantage point. But when you go there, there's more road ahead of you and you haven't arrived. It's like an interstate that doesn't end. I read that 1,200 students at Yale University, it's 25% of their college population, they enrolled in a course on happiness. It was titled Psychology and the Good Life. And when they were asked why, they responded that they wanted to know why after attending the university of their dreams. Right? Those of you who are starting to look at college options, right? This Ivy League institution, almost as good as Emory, right, Stephen? And yet, they're still living this anxious, unhappy existence. And so they wanted to find out why they were so discontent. Because the reality is, in the same way that we often don't know ourselves, we don't really know what will make us happy. It doesn't stop us from trying. And it's possible that even as, as Christians, that's what we're here gathered as a community here, it's possible that we're, we're on the same road as everybody else, trying to find the same kinds of things, right? And, and, and your understanding of what makes life good, it can look like what everybody else has, except you just happen to go to church. And you go to youth group. But you're living for the same dreams. And you wish you had in your life the same stuff that everybody else is after. And the problem with that is, at some point, you'll begin to question whether or not this can deliver that. Whether or not Jesus will really give you what you want. And this starts to feel dispensable. Mark Sayer says... Ours is a culture in which constant searching for happiness is the ultimate goal, meaning that believers find themselves 
constantly reevaluating their faith, testing that faith's ability to deliver our culture's version of the good life. And at best, we, we want Jesus to come along with us in our personal journey into an amazing life, to ride shotgun and pass us the best snacks. And if we get into trouble, for a moment, we might sing with Carrie Underwood, you know, Jesus, take the wheel, take it from my hands, and give me one more chance, save me from this road that I'm on. But when the trouble subsides, we're perfectly fine with grabbing that steering wheel again and taking the vehicle in the direction that we want. But this weekend, Jesus is going to lead us down a different road. Not to find ourselves, but to lose ourselves. Not self-discovery, but self-denial. And surprisingly, he's going to say, that's the road to happiness. All right, so open up to Mark chapter 8 in your Bible. Mark 8. You have, you have a Bible with you? We've got a few extra on the back tables. And so if you don't have a Bible with you, raise up your hand real quick and some people will get you one. You need a Bible. Hold on to it this weekend, okay? It's in your bag. All right, well, if your Bible's in your bag, get a Bible now. Mark's the second book in the New Testament. All right, while you're turning there, listen up real quick. Here's what's been happening in Mark. Right? Jesus called his disciples. When he called them, he said, follow me. And they have been walking with him. They've been going from city to city. They've been observing him minister. They've been watching him do miracles. They've been trailing behind him on the road wherever he goes. And now in Mark 8, they're going to be heading to Jerusalem. And, and actually, what Jesus and his disciples are doing, they're traveling a path that God's people have traveled for generations. They're heading into Jerusalem for the time of the Passover. In fact, there's a whole section of the book of Psalms that are called Psalms of Ascent. Right? Ascent is when you go up, you go up in elevation. Because somebody going to Jerusalem, they would always travel up the road. And their playlist on Spotify were these Psalms of Ascent. That's what they would sing on their road trip as they headed to Jerusalem. And so Jesus is doing that with his disciples. But as you enter these chapters, the, the terrain starts to feel Different. It's like if you move from asphalt to, to gravel, you know, it's like, what changed? Something changed here. And you, you can hear the crunch under your feet. There, there's a rough road ahead. But there are significant events and conversations that happen on the way. And you just keep getting that road referenced throughout these chapters. And so in verse uh, 27 of chapter 8, it says that they are on the road. And then in Chapter 9, verse 30, it says, Jesus teaches his disciples while they're 
passing through Galilee. And then 9.33, Jesus asks them, hey, what were you guys discussing on the road? And then 10.32, it says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them and they were amazed and those who followed were afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of Jesus. Because he is driving. I don't know if you ever ride with somebody who makes you nervous. You know, the speed that they're going, the way they pull on the steering wheel. All right, y'all are all looking at the culprits right now. <laughs> Jesus is making these guys nervous. Because he's driving with a determination that alarms and confuses them. And he calls us to come with him. There's a final road trip to take. And we're going to travel it and visit the stops that he makes along the way. All right, so buckle up. All right, you heard Carl. Wear your seatbelt all week because this is not going to be a safe journey. All right, chapter 8, verse 27. And when Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi on the way or on the road he asked his disciples who do people say that I am and they told him John the Baptist and others say Elijah and, and others one of the prophets and he asked them but who do you say that I am right so he has led them 25 miles, they've walked, by the way, travel was slow, uh, from Bethsaida to Caesarea Philippi. This is a city that was named after Caesar himself, the emperor of Rome. And so when you enter the city, just by the name of it, you're aware you're in occupied territory. Rome has declared its authority, its governance over a city in Israel. It's a rival claim to power, just by the name of it. And yet Jesus has come into town. And everything that you've read in Mark, if you would have read up to this point in the Gospel of Mark, has been showing you in one scene after another that he is the king. I mean, it just comes right out the gate and says, Jesus is the son of God. And then he has authority to forgive sins. And he describes himself as being Lord over the Sabbath. And, and he's undoing the effects of the curse. He's just rolling back the fall in one event after another. He's declaring dominance over creation. He's walking on water. He's shouting down storms. And people love him. I mean, the crowds... Love him. He is the celebrity of the day. When Jesus shows up, there is standing room only so that people start opening up roofs and lowering people down so that they can get front row seats to see him. They love his teaching. They love his speaking. He has become outrageously popular. And, and the disciples can see this playing out. Caesarea Philippi, on to Jerusalem, where the throne is, the time has come. We are claiming this place back. We are restoring glory. And you know, you know who's going to be right there? We're his bros. Jesus is going to remember us when the day comes. And so they're excited. 
There's a lot of anticipation that's being built up here. But Jesus is taking a very long road. And we don't like delays, do we? I mean, whenever I'm driving, coming back from vacation, it's like if, if one of the kids say they have to go to the bathroom, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to stop at 1230 for lunch, and it's 1145 right now, so stopping right now is just pointless because we'll be doing that. It's like any way that we can just avoid unnecessary delay, we'll do it. Our, our church administrator, Pete Shefferstein, just yesterday flew down to Florida, not to visit Disney World, which is usually the reason why he's going to Florida, but to visit Home Depot uh, because he is coordinating a, a, this relief effort in the Bahamas. And so we, we're going to have teams going down. Jordan Bellamy is going to be helping with uh, those teams as well. Give it up for Jordan for assisting in that. Yeah, man. But in order to do relief effort in the Bahamas, you need supplies, you, you, you need the right equipment, you need stuff to be able to put back together houses. And it has to go there by boat. And, and everything was lined up, right? Pete had the order placed at Home Depot. It was supposed to get on a shipment that was going to arrive in time at the Bahamas. And yet, you know, dealing with them from New Orleans, I don't know what fell apart in terms of the communication. But to, to, to travel 15 minutes from Home Depot to the boat, somehow they couldn't pull that together, even though that's what they were supposed to do. So Pete ended up flying down with the one and only Tommy Hill and renting a truck and loading up all those Home Depot supplies and driving it 15 minutes, unloading it, and flying back all yesterday. It's like, who wants that? It's like, you're so close. We're right there. You can sense it. And all this extra travel and delay. That's what the disciples feel right now. Jesus, we are, we are right up on it. And he tells them, you, you don't have a clue what's coming. But he presses on them in this moment. What do you think all this is about? He begins by asking them, who, who do you think I am? That's a, that's a direct question. He starts by asking, what, what do people say about me? Not because he's just really hungry for a reputation and wants to know what his press is. He's teaching them in this moment. And they give those answers, but then he says, yeah, but what do you think? And Jesus always does this. He doesn't allow you just to, to hide in the crowd of opinions and not draw your own conclusions. Or some of you have a struggle with that. It's like you, you never want to express an opinion that's different from what everybody else says. And it could be about the blandest thing. It's like, where do you think we should go to, for lunch today? I, I don't know. What do you all want to do? You know, some of you are obnoxious in the other direction. You want everybody to do what you want. And we'll preach a message for you in a couple of days. Uh, but right now, it's like you, you never want to commit. What if people don't like my decision? You know, what if they don't like what I'm having to say? And you can do that in your, in your walk with God. You're always gauging, where is everybody at? Have we concluded that this is cool, that this is okay? All right, I'm with you, as long as everybody else is there too. Are we serious about this weekend, or are we kind of half serious? All right, I'm with you, but I'm not going to push myself away from the rest of the crowd. Jesus won't have it. He presses on them here. 
And they say, Peter answers, verse 27, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed king. You're the hero of the story. You're the one we have been waiting for for so long. And everything Peter says is true. In fact, God inspired it. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit revealed that to you, Peter. But then the story takes this sudden turn, verse 30. He strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Why? I mean, why not broadcast this from the rooftops? Because there's still something they're missing. They used the correct words, but the concept wasn't there. It's kind of like when people try to use the phrase point of view on TikTok and they don't use it in the right way. I mean, but half of the videos, they get it right. And they're showing you, you know, Danielle Cohn with, with her Harvard uh, sweatshirt and it's from the angle of her belly button or from behind her hair or whatever. Point of view. But, uh, but uh, the other half of the people, they, they, they post a point of view video and it's just, a, it's just a video of them. It's like not from somebody's perspective. It's just, I'm just watching you right here. It's like you're using that phrase, but you don't quite get what that means here. And here, Peter uses this phrase, Messiah, but he doesn't really get what he said. He fills in the content with, with his own dreams, with his own expectations. And, and we, we're in danger of doing the same thing. Right, what, what kind of savior do you want? If you can go shopping, you're shopping for something that's going to Come fix life for you. Come bring things to be in a place that's better than it is right now. What do you want? Right? So, somebody who will help people like you? Somebody that will make life less difficult? A Jesus who can help make sure that people recognize how awesome you are and that your abilities and your accomplish- accomplishments get noticed? Jesus wants to free us from these false saviors and it comes painfully. Jesus takes his disciples further. Verse 31, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. It's very hard for us to enter into the place where these 12 men were in this moment because we have become so familiar with this story. It loses its impact. It it sounds like Jesus jumped out of one storyline and into another. Right? It's like you just moved from, you jumped out of Cinderella into Game of Thrones. Right? It's just totally different scenery, totally different associations. Jesus, what are you talking about? I I thought this was the Messiah story. Why are you talking about being rejected, being killed, being crucified? Jesus, are you out of your mind? Crucifixion was the most shameful way that somebody could die. It it wasn't just painful. It, It depersonalized you. It dehumanized you. It was, it was worse than, I mean, think about if somebody were put on like the sex offender list. You, you don't ever recover from that. That's what crucifixion was to these people. 
And Jesus says, that's at the end of this road. I want you to be clear. In fact, three different times in these chapters, he tells them this. And Peter, like many of us, gets in trouble because of his mouth. He says this in verse 32. Peter took him aside. He took him away from the road. Began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Behind Peter's voice, Jesus hears the voice of Satan. Offering him another road. It's that same voice that tempted him in the wilderness to abandon discomfort in order to have it all right now. Think about this. What does it mean to be satanic? Right? People don't talk about that much today. <laughs> that sounds weird. Another one of those strange things. I don't know, maybe every now and then it comes up in your, in your car when your mom says, turn off that satanic music. I don't know. Uh, that's about as much as we ever hear that. What's it mean to be satanic? Does it mean like, you know, you worship at a, a, a pentagram? You join the Illuminati? You know, just like all the Kardashians did. Um, <laughs> But it's okay, Kanye West, he exited the Illuminati and, you know, he's one of ours now eating at Chick-fil-A, right? Uh, is that what it means to be satanic? Yeah. Uh, in the Bible, it means to want to live a life of happiness and ease that avoids the cross. Peter wants a crown of honor now and not the humiliation of the cross. Do you recognize you have the voice of Peter, this, this satanic voice of Peter, streaming into your life 24-7. That's what I mean by I said that we're talking about strange things this weekend. Because what Peter is saying here, no, Jesus, don't listen to that. You're going to be great and you're going to be great right now. You can have it all right now. You hear that all the time. Almost every song is about that. Almost every social media post of any popularity is delivering you that word. What do you do with that? Is there something inside of you that responds, get behind me, Satan? Or you just double tap like it and scroll up to the next thing on the feed. Jesus is not the kind of Savior that we expect. He's the kind of Savior that we need. He says the Son of Man must suffer. If only you knew how absolutely necessary this is. That's the tone of his conversation right now with some of his closest friends whose sin and mine demands that Jesus travel this road all the way to Calvary. Our problem runs much deeper than the need for self-discovery or getting the obstacles out of our way. Right? That's what the disciples wanted. There's this obstacle called Rome and Jesus is going to get it out of my way so that I can live the dream. So that I can be unleashed. 
The problem is, when you unleash what's inside of humanity, it is a dark place. And only the death of the Son of God could rescue us from it. I love the imagery of this that's in Cormac McCarthy's novel, The Road. It's a story of this father and his son. They, they live in this world after some kind of apocalyptic event has happened. They don't ever go into the details of what's actually taken place. But it is a brutal, dark world. It's a world where children get eaten because people are that desperate. And there's this one father and his son. And they're walking the road and they're, they're trying to get to the coastline because they're convinced there's help along the way. And, and throughout the, the story, the, the, the father tells his son that we're, we're carrying this fire within us. There, there's, there's love in a dark place that makes what we're doing meaningful. But as you keep reading the novel, you discover this isn't just anyone. This, this, is, this is a dying father. And they arrive at the end. And the father has given his last bit of energy and his last bit of health to ensure that his son makes it safely. After the death of his father, the son waits three days with him. And on the third day, a new family comes and takes him. And he lives on. It's, just, it's a picture of when you unleash humanity, when you get to our basic instincts, it is not a pretty sight. But it is something that only sacrificial love and death can fix. And Jesus knows this. And he calls us to walk with him on the road that he's on. Paul Miller says, The Gospel of Mark is a discipleship course that descends into Jesus' death. Mark equates discipleship with joining Jesus in his dying. Look at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples. And so it's not just the original 12. It's, he's talking to anybody, anybody who wants in on this. He said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I came across this uh, strange Twitter account called This Person Does Not Exist. And uh, it just generates images like this one. Right? This guy's name is Olivier Noel. He's 43 years old. He lives in Brazil. And he does not exist because that picture was created with artificial intelligence technology. It just pulled from various images from the Internet and created a brand new person and randomly generated the facts about him that I just read. He does not exist. Right, this is a weird decade coming our way. Okay, More and more of a deep fake exists. This is Maria Grainer. She lives in Romania. She's 33 years old and she is separated from her husband. She does not exist. Uh, Gavril Broadbeck, uh, he is from South Korea, he's 35 years old, and there is nobody on the planet like him because he does not exist. All right, you kind of get the point of the Twitter account, pretty fascinating. But to become a Christian, there's a sense in which you cease to exist. 
And yet there's another sense in which the, the fullest and happiest version of you finally begins to exist as you come to Christ. He says, if, if you try to preserve yourself, you will be lost. But if you follow me into death, you will follow me all the way into life. We resist that story so much, though. Right? We, we don't want to be a nobody. Whatever category matters to us. And we all have our own. You know, if that's athletically, if that's academically, if that's in you know, your musical skill, if that's in certain features of your personality that you're proud of, you like being the funny person, right? You, you, you want to get noticed in whatever area of life matters to you. You don't want to be a nobody. And so you'll build all of your identity into that and you will push your energy into perfecting that and getting better at that and making sure people notice that's your thing and you stand out in your field. But that is a needy and anxious life that we create because you're always caught up in comparison. The pressure is high to deliver and you try to suck all the life you can out of those things. And we get desperate and it's like, you know, if you didn't, if you didn't like my picture, I'll even post my stories for you to like my recent. So just to make sure there's a big sign pointing in my direction, don't you notice me. Don't you realize that this is great right here? Because it's life. And Jesus says, the more you grasp after life in those categories, it runs right through your fingers and there's nothing left in your hands. I love this thought from C.S. Lewis. He talks about how you can aim at some of these things and end up losing it, but if you're willing to lose them, Sometimes you find that they're thrown in. It says, the more we get what we now call ourselves out of the way and let him take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Our real selves are all waiting for us in him. I love that. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give myself up to his personality that I finally begin to have a real personality all of my own. Nevertheless, you must not go to Christ for the sake of a new self. As long as your own personality is what you're bothering about, you're not going to him at all. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. You know, the, the, the people that I've interacted with that have felt real to me, they, they somehow found a way to get outside of themselves. They're not just inwardly focused, caught up in this own little dialogue inside of their head, constantly worrying about what people think. They're pulled out of themselves in a way that makes them genuine and real. And he says, lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, 
rage, ruin, and decay, but look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. It's the exact opposite of a wasted life. He says, what does it profit someone if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What can you get in return for your soul? You realize that you have a soul. There's a a whole other dimension to who you are that can be withering away and can be in danger of being lost if it's ultimately neglected while you strive to be somebody somewhere else. And Jesus says, if you hold everything else with an open hand, if you're willing to let it fall from your grasp, you will gain the world as you gain me. If you're not ashamed of me and my words, In this generation, I will not be ashamed of you when I come again. Those are the alternatives. Either we're ashamed of Jesus now because he stands in the way of what we really want. And we'll part with him if we need to. Either openly or backing away from him. Not wanting to be associated with him. Or just never interacting with him. Because everything else has us. Or we will be willing to be shamed by this world. Knowing that we will have glory in him. In eternity. That's the big picture of what it means to be a Christian. This is the road that every believer is called to travel. And that's true of the the big picture. And it's true of the, the individual moments of life. The moments of delay, the moments of difficulty, the moments of disappointment. I read this fall a book by Paul Miller. It's called The J-Curve, Dying and Rising with Jesus in Everyday Life. And, and that, when it comes to mapping out data, there's something called a J-Curve. And he, he borrows that, that thought. I mean, obviously, you could get the J for Jesus here. But, but there's this, this, this shape to the Christian life, and it takes the shape of the gospel. That we go down into death, but there's always this resurrection that, that, that follows. There's this, this decline-incline on the road of discipleship. And, and it happens, the level of mundane stuff. And we'll explore some of that this weekend. But it's the big picture for what we're about. And he says this, The normal Christian life repeatedly reenacts the dying and rising of Jesus. My goal is to draw you, the reader, into the dying and rising of Jesus. To reset your sense of the normal Christian life. Freeing you from cynicism and despair. Why would you be cynical? Or why would you have despair? To despair means, oh, this is hopeless, this sucks so bad, oh my goodness, life is over. Well, why would you have that response? Well, because it feels like you're dying right now and that's a big surprise. And what Paul Miller is saying here is, you're at the bottom of the curve. That's normal. Or cynicism. Cynicism is this like, you know, 
approach that I'm not going to I'm not going to give myself to anybody or anything I'm just always going to be complaining I'm always going to have this posture like I could care less I'm not committed to anything in particular because I've been burned and you know I've I've done the the youth retreat thing but you know that's been a weird experience for me in the past so I'm going to have a different approach right now. I'm going to kind of lean back or I'm not really going to overcommit my friendships. Whatever the category it is for you, if you've had a bad experience there, you pull yourself away from it because you don't like the dip of the J curve. And you feel like it's just pointless when Jesus is helping you see there's always another side of this road. You're, you're going you're gonna to come all the way with me. You're going to lose something here. In fact, you're going to lose everything. But you're going to gain everything in me. It says, inhabiting the J-curve promises to transform your entire vision of how you engage life. Freeing you from the world of resentment, touchiness. And just plain old grumpiness. And inviting you into Jesus' world. A world rich with joy, hope, and love. Alright. Pick apart those words with me real quick. The world of resentment. Unforgiveness. Bitterness. Like, I've been, I've been hurt, I've been offended, and that's replaying in my memory, and that's shaping how I relate with you, whether I've withdrawn from you. You got problems with forgiveness in your life? Are you just really mean to certain people? And, and you've concluded that's okay because they've harmed you? Are, are there certain people that just, there, there's this replay of, what they've done or what they haven't done or what they didn't invite you to, to be a part of. Or you struggle with unforgiveness toward your parents. Maybe you'll release your friends from the hot seat by the next day, but they, they've got to go through your purgatory system, whatever it is that you put in place before you'll ever show them affection or take interest in their world. You have, a, you have a forgiveness problem? It's a J-curve problem because you've assumed that you should be able to go through life and people don't sin against you and you never have to die. But on the other side of being sinned against and forgiveness, there is life that Jesus wants you to experience. That's why he might have you there. What about touchiness? Are you, are you a really emotionally frail person? Like you just get offended easily, you get upset, you shut down. People don't notice you in the right way. You know, there's criticism or you feel like you're made fun of. It's like that now defines life for you. You don't know what it's like to go through the bottom of a J-curve. And that that's normal. What about Grumpiness. You complain a lot. You lack joy. What road do you think that you're on? What do you want Jesus to do for you? You want him taking you all the way to the top without any detours, 
without any delays, getting you the boyfriend or the girlfriend of your dreams, making sure you're guaranteed a, a spot on the team, whatever it is for you. Is that who you want him to be in your life? Or do you see yourself accurately? Do you see the ugliness inside of your soul that required him to be killed like the criminal that you are and rise again and then say, all right, we're walking the same road together and you're coming with me. I've already paid for everything. That's not why you're on this road. But you're on this road so you can experience all the joy of the resurrection life that I bring. All right, Ben, if you'd come up, man. All right, guys, I don't want y'all to become restless right now. I want you to go back in your mind to that moment where Jesus is taking this turn. He is exiting Caesarea Philippi and there's a road before him. And he's declaring clearly what's to come. He puts all the cards on the table and then he says, are you with me? You know, sometimes people were driven away from Jesus because he knew they weren't prepared for this journey. They were after something else entirely. In Luke 9:51, it says, "When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem." And it says, "As they were going along the road, Someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I'm going to be homeless on this road. You want to come with me still? Jesus is up front and clear. But the only reason why we would even understand what he's saying And the only reason we would care is because God has opened our eyes to see the glory that He is. Stand together.